Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Coffee and Prayer. I'm Pastor Andrew F. Carter, and it is 5.30 a.m. here in Inglewood, California. As you guys are tuning in, please let me know where you are and what time it is. I'm excited this morning. We're jumping into 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 4 this morning, and so far, it's been amazing. It has been, uh, 1 Corinthians is definitely delivered. It's, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. Holy Spirit has showed up, and... Uh, and he's shown out every single day. Good morning. What is up? What is up? How are you guys doing? I know Saturday morning's a little bit slower. People decide to sleep in. I love that for you guys. Um, you know, you've got to take time. You've got to rest. You've got to protect your space. I just pray that you hop on here a little later. So if that's you on the replay, uh, good morning. And we love you. Welcome in. Check it out. We got brothers and sisters from around the world. South Korea. We got Germany, we've got Memphis, we got Chicago, Illinois, uh, Hamden, Huntington Beach, Chicago, more Chicago. Chicago showed up, man. I love it. I got to get out there to Chicago. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Mount Airy. So um, look, man, I am excited to jump into the scripture that we have today. Maybe this is your first time, you don't know what's going on. This is a Bible study. This is a, a daily gathering. We have gathered 141 days in a row. You guys, without, regardless of the weather, regardless of the time zone, regardless of feelings and emotions, uh, I've been sick on here, right? Still got up. We still showed up. We still showed out. Somebody asked me, how long are we going to go? Man, I want to finish the Bible. I don't know about you guys, but I want to finish the entire thing cover to cover. If we read one chapter of the new and one chapter of the old, it's somewhere around 500 days, right? I know that there's ways that you can read the Bible um, in a year, but uh, that's not the direction we're going. God said, hey, one chapter, a chapter from the Old Testament, a chapter from the New Testament, and um, we'll just kind of figure it out as we go. And so here we are. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take, but that is what the mission is and we are just getting started so this is a great time uh you know to, to to hop in and and join what we're doing the cool thing is is that at the end of each chapter of the new testament we uh we give an uh, opportunity for people to accept jesus as their lord and savior we do a digital altar call and um at, at this point i know that well over 100 people have been saved glory to god hundred people have either been saved or rededicated their life to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that is enough to get me up every single morning. So um, I'm excited. Absolutely excited. So uh, yeah, people are saying when we finish, we'll start again. I love that because here's the thing. I've read the Bible and you guys know this is you can read a scripture one day and come back a week later, maybe you can come back a day later and it will speak to you in a different matter. It might address what you're going through in this moment, which was different from when you read it beforehand. And again, we're here not reading to you, but we're here applying context, ideas, food for thought. And even as we read food for thought pops up, I might have something that I thought about the scripture and then God will put something different on our heart. He's so good. God is so good. Amen. Cool. So let's check it out. First Corinthians <clears throat> chapter four. It's in the chat. If anybody pops in, you can always let them know that's where we are. But um, <clears throat> Paul's is still addressing, obviously, the church in Corinth. He says, hey, people should think of us as servants of Christ, the ones God has trusted with his secrets. Now, remember, he's talking about 
uh, himself and Apollos. Beforehand, he's addressing the church and he calls them spiritual babies, right? You guys are still pooping in your pampers. You guys are babies in Christ. The teaching that I'm giving you is like milk, right? We haven't even graduated to, to solid food. I'm still giving you spiritual baby milk. It's that infamil, uh, which is that formula. I'm still, we're only here because I can see that you guys aren't mature enough because you're still quarreling and bickering and arguing over secondary issues and opinions and traditions. Tradition. You guys are still arguing about who you follow. Do I follow Paul or do I follow Apollos? Like they're not spiritually growing. And so he's saying, hey, people should think of us as servants of Christ, the ones God has trusted with the secrets. Now, in this way, those who are trusted with something valuable must show they are worthy of that trust. He's like, man, as, as for myself, I don't care if I'm judged by you or any human court. He's like, I don't, at this point, I don't even judge myself. He goes, I, I, I know of no wrong I have done, but this does not make me right before the Lord. The Lord is the one who judges me, so do not judge before the right time. Wait until the Lord comes. What he will do is he will bring to light things that are now hidden in darkness and will make known the secret purposes of people's hearts. Then God will praise each one of them. This is a, a great reminder that it, we're not to puff ourselves up and put our places our, ourselves in a place of judgment, in a seat of judgment, right? You can't sit here in your perfection and holiness and judge somebody else's life in the sense that you're just like condemning them and pushing them away from the Lord. Oh, you're beyond repair. You will never change. Once a cheater, always a cheater, right? We can't label individuals as not saved or too far gone, right? Beyond repair because it's not it's not our job, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. He's literally saying, hey, don't judge before the time is up. The Lord is the one who judges, right? It's, it's all about him and he'll judge at the right time. We'll wait until the Lord comes. He's going to bring to light things that are hidden in the darkness. He's going to make everybody's, the purposes of their heart. He's going to reveal those things. I said this once, I'll say it again. There might be people in heaven who you are just surprised by. You're going to be like, whoa, you made the cut? Like, wow. That's wild. I didn't think like, well, you might, I thought you were a lost cause. Thank God that I don't do the judging. And then there's going to be people in heaven or, or there's going to be people missing. And you're going to be looking and going, man, I thought, I thought they were, hold on a second. Weren't they Christian? And they, didn't they follow Jesus? And, and, and Paul's saying, hey, man, the things that are done in the dark, the things that are done behind closed doors, the things that are going on in people's hearts, you're going to be surprised. You're going to be like, whoa. I thought they were supposed to be here, but clearly there must have been something going on behind closed doors. And that's not, that's not a good thing, right? But we're so quick to judge on outer appearances. We're so quick to judge uh, individuals when they're in the middle of muck or when they're far away from God. We tend to sit in a seat of judgment and try to sign the book of life for individuals and push people away because of the way that they're living or the things that they're doing, not knowing that we once too were lost in our sin and God extended his love, grace, and mercy. We understand that God was patient with us. Why can't we be patient with other people? Right? Again, my goal is to create a ministry, a place that is safe, that is loving, that is built on truth, which is the unshakable foundation that will not be moved, not tickling ears, not watering down the gospel, not compromising, not accepting sin, right? Having a hard stance that, yo, I don't agree with that. That's sin. But creating an atmosphere that's filled with love where individuals are able to come in as spiritual babies and, and, and they're able to be discipled and taught. They're be able, they're, they're able 
able to sit in the presence of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, they receive the Holy Spirit and we give them a place where they can spiritually mature. It's about creating an atmosphere and an environment that yes, we judge righteously in the church, but a lot of the times people use that scripture to be jerks, right? Oh, I'm just judging righteously, brother. That's what we're called to do in the church, but you're not doing it with love. You're not doing it with gentleness. You're not doing it in a manner that Jesus would do. Yes, Jesus judged righteously, but he led with love and created an environment where sinners were drawn to him. They wanted to sit in his presence. They wanted to learn. And once they sat in his presence, they wanted to sell everything they had and they wanted to go with him. They wanted to follow him, not because he was sitting there judging righteously within the church with the iron fist. He, he was true. He didn't compromise. He didn't tickle ears, but he did so in a manner that was so loving and so encouraging and it drew people in. He created an environment and a safe place where people felt comfortable to come into him and to learn from him. And once they sat in his presence, they were so overwhelmed with that love that they wanted to change. They weren't scared. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, if you don't do this right now, you're going to burn in hell, right? Did he talk about eternity? Did he talk about those things? Did he talk about sin? Yes, absolutely. But that wasn't his stance. It wasn't this, this grimace. If you're ministering to somebody and you're getting angry and you've got a grimace on your face and the way that you're coming at them is so aggressive and, and you're upset because they're not changing it because they're not getting it, that's a, that's a time when you need to step back and take a breath and go, wow, is this how Jesus ministered? Is this how he got his point across? Is this how he loved people? Is this how people change? Is this how people come to a place of repentance? When, when I'm in their face screaming at them and shoving scripture down their throat? That's not how I got saved. And probably not how you did. But, but we're so quick to forget the, the love part of the truth, right? We're pretty quick to forget. And so, uh, you know, this is just a, a, a reminder. He's like, hey, you know, the Lord is the one who judges. So don't judge before the right time. Wait until the Lord comes. He's going to bring to light things that are now hidden in darkness and will make known the secret purposes of people's hearts. Then God will praise each one of them. He says, brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself as examples so you could learn through us the meaning of the saying, follow only what is written in the scriptures. Then you will not be more proud of one person than another who says you are better than others. Who do you, uh, who, what do you have that was not given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you brag as if you did not receive it as a gift? The issue with the church in Corinth is that they were, they, they were saved, right? But they were still in this place where they were bickering and arguing, quarreling over secondary issues. They really were after wealth and status and they, they, they wanted to be, they wanted to sit in the best seats in, in, in the place. They were, they were distracted with earthly things. Paul and Apollos, you know, Paul is sitting here saying, hey man, I, I came and I'm showing you how to live. I'm leading by example. The most important thing should be the word of God, the scripture. This is our foundation, not your opinions, right? Not your, not your thoughts on an issue. Follow only what is written in the scriptures. Don't change it. Don't twist it. Don't manipulate it. Don't take what you think and, and, and subplant it into the word, right? Who says that you are better than others? What do you have that's not given to you? This is a reminder. Look, what, everything that we have, your talents, your gifts, your resources, your health, your vitality, your looks, your all of the things that you have is a gift. It's been given to us. It's, we have been blessed with this. I was talking to my buddy yesterday. And you know what? It's crazy. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rant for a second. I moved to Los Angeles. And what I found is that 
everybody in the Los Angeles area is talented, right? Everybody that I know or meet, I can I can probably guarantee this, right? If I ask, what do you do? They probably act. They probably sing. They probably model. They probably have a podcast. Uh, they probably um, dance for sure. Um, that everybody is like multi-talented, and I'm just like, wow, this is this is crazy. Everybody is like down here. They, they they're just extremely talented. They're uh, what what do they call? They're triple threats, if you if you would say so, if that's what you would call it. And I'm blown away because I'm from Oregon, and I was like, if I had one of these talents, I would be like a superstar in Oregon. People would love me. I'm a simple guy. I don't dance well, as you guys can see from some of the videos I post. I've never claimed to be a dancer. I can move uh, in a sense that I'm not going to hurt myself, but nobody's ever been like, bro, teach me your ways, okay? Um, I can't sing, right? I'm not a very good singer. Uh, that's for absolute sure. And if you've worshiped for, around me or, or been in the presence of the Lord, you, you might be like, hey, hey, fam, bring it down a little bit. We're here trying to hear. You know, we're here worshiping God, and your voice is extremely distracting. I can't sing, right? I'm not a triple threat. I don't have all of these gifts. But as I'm talking to my buddy, right, uh, one of one of my many friends who's just like literally a model, an actor, a singer, a dancer, they just released a single and it's just like I don't know how you guys have this energy. I just preach Jesus in a Jeep. That's that's my talent. That's my gift. Uh, and I thank God for that. But as I'm talking to him, it's just like you guys understand that all of these talents, gifts, all of the things that God has given you, these looks for your modeling, these acting chops, this voice, these dance, all of these things were given to you, not for you. They were given to you to use to make him more famous, right? And that's what I think that we're, this, this world we've twisted and, and, and shifted and, and lost track that everything that you have, everything, God formed you, he molded you in your mother's womb, he knit you together. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Everything that you have physically, right, all of your gifts, all of your talents are God-given. And we must use those, right? We must use those not to glorify ourselves, not to brag in, not to puff ourselves up about, not to boast about, not to brag about, not to put us on a pedestal, but to make him more known. If you can sing, let your let your voice sing praises to God, right? If you can dance, dance unto the Lord. If you're acting, then act and bring people in through your gifts and your talents, the things that God has given us, gifted us, and allowed us to have access to are are, are from him. So why do we catch ourselves bragging and boasting in ourselves as if we've done anything special? We, we were given these talents. We were given these gifts. How are you going to use them? That was what our conversation was. And um, I, think that it, I think that it struck gold. I think that it made sense. Uh, it was based on scripture. It was literally based on some of the things that we're talking about um, today and even in the last couple of days. But my encouragement, who, who says that you're better than others? Why do we get in this place or this position that we think that we're better than other people or we elevate ourselves above other people or we're on this platform or here we are and everybody else is down here? Yes, you can be more spiritually mature than an individual, but even spiritually mature individuals will let their guard down and fall in the faith, right? You think of heroes and, and individuals that uh, might have been somewhat, somewhat famous or, or great teachers, and they have this fall from grace because behind closed doors, they allowed the, the, the fame or the, the influence or the clout to get to their head, and so they start to exalt themselves, and they, they, they let their guards down, and they stop protecting themselves, and then they're caught in these sex scandals or cheating, or they're, they're caught in these crazy affairs or whatever it is that they're doing, right? These are spiritually mature people, and I believe 
believe that comes from individuals thinking that they're greater than themselves, greater than they actually are. They start to puff themselves up. They start to, they start to, uh, feel the effect of being famous. They start to think that it's about them. They think that they're better than they actually are and they start to exalt themselves, right? Jesus says pride comes before a fall. The word of God says pride comes before a fall. So we need to remain humble. We need to remind ourselves, hey, I'm not better than anybody else, right? I'm 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 one missed paycheck away from living on skid row, right? Maybe that's not your situation, but I'm one moral failure away from losing everything. We're all on the same level. We're, that you never get to a point for me this is what i believe in and this is my my heart posture on this you never get to a place of arrival right you never get to a place where you arrive and you no longer have to pick up your cross right where you just get to set it down and be like i'm good i'm saved I know the word. You never get to a place in your walk with God where uh, you, you, you don't have to repent or you don't have to get on your knees and pray. I don't think that there's a place or a point of arrival where you have to stop being humble, where you have to stop meeting him in his word. I don't think that that's a thing. And we must remain humble. We must remember who we are. What, what do you have? He says, what do you have that was not given to you? literally everything. We're on borrowed time. The breath that I breathe that's in my lungs isn't even mine. It's the breath of God. He's breathed breath into my lungs. And if it was given to you, why do you brag as if it, you did not receive it as a gift? He says, he goes on in verse eight. He says, you think you already have everything you need. You think you were rich. You think you have become kings without us. And he's being kind of sarcastic. I wish you really were kings so we could be kings together with you. But it seems to me that God has put us apostles in last place, like those sentenced to die, right? He's, they got, as a servant of God, as an apostle, right? You guys have made life about money and things and position and status and about your gifts and your talents and you've made it about you. And he's like, that's weird because I'm an apostle. I'm a servant of God. I, I love God. I, I'm in tune with what the Lord wants. And it's weird because it seems like life is a little bit different, right? Life is a little bit different for an apostle, for individuals who are really sold out to God. It's almost like we're on this cutting board in front of the world. Everybody's watching us lose our lives. It's like it seems that we're last place, those sentenced to die. We are like a show for the whole world to see, angels and people alike. He goes, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are, you, you are very wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You receive honor, but we are shamed. Even to this very hour, we don't even have enough food or water. He's like, we don't, have, uh, we don't have enough to wear. We don't have clothes to wear. He's like, we're often beaten and we have no homes in which to live. We work hard with our own hands for our food. When people curse us, we bless them. When they hurt us, we put up with it. When they tell lies about us, we speak nice words about them. Even today, we are treated as though we were the garbage of the world, the filth of the earth, right? This is something that I struggle with when it comes to like prosperity gospel, right? Your best life now, if you just follow Jesus and if you send me $9.99, I'm going to lift a prayer up that's going to change your life, right? We're going to change your life. Wow, glory to God. No, man, life is never promised. Nowhere in scripture are we promised a life of ease and comfort. And this prosperity gospel of following Jesus as a contingency plan, that's going to take away all the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering. And if you, if you, you know, when you follow Jesus, your life is just going to get so much easier. And here he is, he's saying, man, I'm an apostle. 
He's like, I don't have enough food to eat. I don't even have clothes. He's like, sometimes I don't have, I don't have shelter. He's like, we're beaten. We're persecuted. We're made fun of. We're put on, on, on this, we're put on this platform and individuals are, are watching us being persecuted. He's like, we're treated like we're the garbage of the earth. Do you think that Paul didn't have a relationship with God? Do you, do you think that do you think that Paul that that the the individuals in Corinth who had more money or had more status or had more things do you think they were closer to the Lord? Your comfort is not uh, uh, your comfort doesn't dictate your relationship with the Lord. Your your comfort doesn't dictate your understanding with God. We have to understand that there is brothers and sisters around this world who are madly in love with Jesus and follow Jesus. This is how you can this is how you can dispel prosperity gospel right here. You can tear it down. Because there's individuals who are losing their lives. Where's their comfort? Where's their check? Where's their money? Where's their car? Where's their home? There's individuals who are meeting underground. There's people who are being exiled. Bibles are being banned around this world. There's places where people are being drugged out of their homes. They're being shot and executed. They're being hung. And, and this is because they won't renounce Jesus. It's because they're fighting for their freedom to have the word of God. They are so hungry and passionate for the Lord that they are willing to lay their life down and truly be martyred. And we get frustrated when somebody doesn't like our post or somebody comments something negative, we get to arguing back and forth and we're so quick to get our feelings hurt over the, the, the digital persecution that we experience when there's people literally losing their lives. They're, they're dying for the word. And here we are, like where in scripture does it say that if, if I follow Jesus, then I get a mansion or I get a private plane or I get a, a brand new car? That don't make sense. Amen. Prosperity isn't what man thinks. The prosperity that we receive is knowledge, wisdom, understanding, discernment. And as you increase in wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and discernment, you start to understand, hey, wow, this life isn't about me. That's wisdom. Understanding, wow, everything that's going on in this world is for me to point everybody to Jesus, right? Understanding, knowledge, wisdom, discernment. Hey, that doesn't, that's not right. The way that you're living, the way that you're treating people, the way that you're acting, you say that you're being a Christian, but that doesn't line up with scripture. Your thoughts, your ideas, your behaviors, you're following Jesus as if it's a contingency plan. You're following because you're scared to go to hell. You don't really love him. You don't really want to walk with him. You don't want to obey the commands. You say that you're a Christian. You say that you're following Jesus because you're scared to go to hell, not because you love him, not because of his sacrifice, not because he's Lord of your life, not because he's your savior. You're just scared of eternity in hell and whatever it takes, right? If that's why you come to Jesus because you're scared, awesome. I believe that you're there maybe for the wrong reasons, but God can, he can honor that and he can change your heart and he can transform you and bring you to a place where, Hey, I'm following him because I love him. Because he gave everything for me when I was still in my sin, when I turned my back on him, when I rejected him, when I was a liar and a cheater and I was filled with anger and, and, and violence and I wasn't, I was an enemy of God, even as I was an enemy of God, right? There's no greater love than a man that will lay his life down on the line for a friend. But think about this. There's no greater love, and I'm not adding to scripture, but in my mind, the love is so great that he laid his life down on the line when I wasn't his friend. When I was public enemy number one, he died knowing my past, present, and future sins. He died for me while I was a sinner. That's a kind of love that blows my mind. He said, you know what? Even despite his past, present, and future sins, he's still to die for. And I love him. 
what? That's insane. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. Thank you, Jesus. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are very wise in Christ. He's sitting here saying, you guys, are, you guys are puffing yourselves up. You think that you've done something. You think you're more important than you are. You believe this world revolves around you. You're so focused on things and materials and experiences. He's like, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I, I'm a teacher. I have a relationship with God that is, I mean, not that, that is mature. And here he is, a mature Christian. Where's his car? Where's his house? Where are these things that we think we deserve as we come to Christ? And, and again, there's some individuals who are followers of Jesus, who are in positions of power, who have wealth, money, and finances. That's not a bad or evil thing. I'm not, and he said, he said, I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. Let me just get to the scripture. I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. I'm writing this to give you a warning as my own dear children. For though you may have 10,000 teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Through the good news, I became your father. He's like, hey, I'm your spiritual father. Um, there's a lot of teachers. There's a lot of people with a lot of opinions. I've come here. I'm not trying to make you feel bad for the things that you have or your position or any of those things because some of you might have those things. That's awesome. Glory to God. But don't get caught up. Don't think it's because it's anything that you've done. Don't, don't get it twisted, right? What do you have that has not been given to you? And if it's given to you, why do you brag as if you didn't receive it as a gift? Why do you mistake your hard work for, like God gave you those opportunities. He gave you those gifts. He gave you those talents. He put you in positions and places where you were able to earn and to, and to do the things that you're doing, to receive the things that you're doing. You were there because God put you in those places. It's not by our own doing. We get caught up with, well, I worked hard, I devoted, and but God lined those things up. He gave you the understanding. He gave you the focus to study. He gave you the drive and the discipline and the consistency. Those two are gifts that are God-given. And so the, the, the very reason why you're in the position that you're at is because of him. And he's like, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Like, I'm your, I'm your father. He's like, hey, but I beg you, please follow my example. Right? Follow my example. That is why I'm sending you Timothy. I'm going to drop, drop you off Timothy, my, my son in the Lord. He's faithful. He's going to help you remember my way of life in Christ Jesus, just as I teach it in all the churches. So I'm here and I'm trying to lead. Money isn't my God. I'm working with my hands, the things that I'm doing. Like as I'm pursuing truth and my focus is on Jesus, notice that the world doesn't love me. The world doesn't celebrate me. The world isn't patting me on my back. In fact, it's in opposition because I'm preaching truth. There are people who are coming against me. I'm getting beaten. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Sometimes I don't have enough to eat. Sometimes I don't have a place to stay. Not saying that in order to be the most godly Christian that you have to live in poverty. Again, that's not what it's saying. But he's saying, hey, man, I put Christ first. I want to be known as a servant of Jesus. It says some of you have become proud thinking that I won't come to you again. I'm going to come to you very soon if the Lord wishes. Then I will know what the proud ones do, not what they say, because the kingdom of God is present, not in talk, but in power. And then he asks him a question, which do you, which do you want that I come to you with punishment or with love and gentleness? And in, and that's where we stop in chapter four verse or chapter five. He's still bringing the same heat. He's still bringing the same heat, Right. He's bringing some, he's going to, we're going to keep going, man. Paul is talking to the Corinthians because again, let's, let's recap real quick before we move forward. Oh, they're saved. They're individuals who are in the church. This is, this is a great point because he's talking to the church. He spent a year and a half with the, the church in Corinth, setting them up, building them up, teaching them, training them, discipling. He was there. 
So he's talking to a group of individuals who are saved. They have salvation. They have their faith in Jesus. But even these believers who are, they've been left kind of to their own devices, they've started to argue and quarrel and bicker over opinions, right? They're, they're fighting over secondary issues. There's division. Some of the church, they've lost focus. They've lost their train of thought. Their eyes are back on the world. They're focusing on status and they're focusing on wealth and they're focusing on position and power. That's what their focus is. These are saved individuals individuals who have lost a train of thought. Their attention has been pulled away. The spirit of division is right here. And he's coming in and saying, hey, I love you guys, but you're acting like babies. I, I love you guys. You guys need to be taught. Hey, I love you guys. I'm going to come. Do you? Uh, do I need to come there and love you gently? Or do I need to come with a rod? Do you guys need to be disciplined? I'm hearing reports of where you guys are at. This is never what it was intended to be. You guys are making this something that it's not. Now you guys are here boasting and becoming proud and putting each other in different positions of power and you're quarreling over who your teacher is. Is it Paul? Is it Peter? Is it Apollos? Like who, who do I, who am I loyal to? You guys are missing the point. And, and it's so, it's so relevant because I feel like, right? I'm not going to go off of feelings, but I feel like that is what we deal with in the church today. I feel like it's, it's describing some of the issues that we have with the church. Uh, and, and it's something that we need to address in our own hearts and find a heart posture that reflects the way that things were supposed to be, right? I started this year out uh, with a sermon called um, Disruption. It was all about disruption, disrupting the way that things have been done. And I used the idea that I believe 2020, right, the, the pandemic, the lockdown, the way that things were being done, I believe that it was disrupted. The, the world was on pause. The world, it was like a speed bump. I think of 2020 as a speed bump. Uh, up to that point, we were cruising, we were driving, man, I was on autopilot. I had all of these visions, dreams, goals, ideas. There was these plans that I had, right? Man will make plans, but God will establish his steps and establish the way. I had all of these plans and this direction that I was going with my life. And then 2020 hit. And it was just like, as I'm going, I don't know about you, have you ever gone over a speed bump that came out of nowhere way too fast? What happens? Boom, 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 disrupts you. And then what happens? Now you're on alert. Now you slow down, you start looking around. Wow, where'd that speed bump come from? I didn't see it. I don't want to be jarred awake like that again. So I'm gonna slow down. I'm gonna start paying attention to my surroundings. I'm gonna watch. I don't wanna hit a speed bump like that. I believe 2020 was a speed bump. I believe that a lot of us were heading in a direction. A lot of us were on autopilot. We were going this way and we were cruising and 2020 happened boom speed bump hey wake up church wake up what's going on you know where are you heading are you even going in the right direction you're not even paying attention to what's going on how's your spiritual temperature what's your relationship like with god where are you at in your heart 2020 for me okay i was like whoo okay I'm heading in the wrong direction. There's some things that I need to address. There's some issues. I'm so focused and on autopilot. I needed this disruption. I needed this speed bump. I needed something to help me pull my head out of my pocket, right? That's what I needed. I needed something like that. So God, I believe, again, this is my opinion. This I'm not translating the Bible. I believe that 2020 was a much needed speed bump for many believers to jar them awake. A lot of people came back to Christ. A lot of people, I, people's eyes were open. But I also believe that this disruption happened in the church for a reason. I think that the church was heading in a different direction. Um, what it did is it forced us to, uh, a lot of people to get out of the building 
and, and getting out of the building because I believe that we were asleep. We were just going through the monotony. I'm going to show up on Sunday. I'm going to clap. I'm going to praise. I'm going to listen to the word. I'm going to try not to fall asleep. I'm going to put the money in the bucket and I'm going to go to lunch. And then on Monday, I'm right back to it. And so here we are, we're on this autopilot. What happened is, hey, now you can't go to church. Now you have to attend online. And I think that a lot of Bible studies happened. A lot of Zooms happened. A lot of people started researching and finding new pastors. I think that a lot of people had this spiritual awakening over 2020. It was a much needed disruption, as inconvenient as it was and challenging. And I know that we lost people and I know that jobs were lost and families were shook up. Uh, but this disruption, right, that, that occurred I believe it was an awakening that we needed in a sense. And so now what I fear is that as things are opening back up, I, I want to encourage individuals to stay awake. Don't just get back into the monotony of a routine. Oh, it's Sunday. I get up. I put on my best. I show up to church. And then on Monday, it's right back to the norm, right? This is an opportunity. I believe that disruption was an opportunity for us to reframe and switch things up, to change things up in the church, right? Hey, we're so focused on secondary issues or we're so focused on creating a sermon that's going to excite people or it's going to get reposted or it's going to go viral that we're straying away from the truth. We're not talking about tough subjects. We're not addressing the pain and the hurt and the issues and the, the reality of what's going on behind closed doors. We're more concerned about props or smoke shows or lights and lasers or, or what's the next message? Does it have a catchy title? Is it something that is repostable? Like if I believe that it was an opportunity opportunity for us to snap out of it and to get back to the truth, get back to the way that things were done, to get back to understanding that following Christ isn't about putting a, a scripture in your bio or wearing a little cross necklace, that following Christ is a lifestyle. I believe that it awoke a lot of us up and said, man, I need to search truth. I need to spend more time in my word. I need to have a better understanding for myself. Hey, there's a lot of people who are lost and need Jesus. Man, maybe my life should be dedicated to spreading the gospel and, and sharing the love, light, and transformational power of Jesus Christ. I, I honestly believe that that disruption was much needed. And here we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, right? He's saying, hey, right? I became your father in this way. Please follow my example. I'm trying to beg you guys, wake up church, you guys are saved, but you guys are acting like babies, right? You guys are saved, but you're still quarreling and arguing. You guys look like the world. Hey, you guys are saved, but your focus is off, right? I'm not here trying to pull your salvation out from underneath you, but I'm trying to wake you guys up and address some of these issues. It's time to wake up. Let's put first things first and he's got to be first. Let's get back to the mission. Let's not make this life about us and about status and about fame and about wealth and about things that it was never intended to be. Hey, this is my example. I'm pursuing God and there's times I don't got food, right? So your comfort doesn't determine your relationship with Christ, right? There's times that I'm getting beat right? I'm, I'm being persecuted. I don't have a place to, to sleep sometimes. So I can't, I can't compare my circumstances to my relationship with God. As a follower, as an apostle of Jesus, I'm living a life that's sold out for him. Yet I lack comfort. I, I lack ease. I lack wealth. I don't always have no, I, I lack certainty. I'm going by the flow of the spirit. Some days I'm here, some days I'm there. He's taking me all around, but I know that he's providing for me. He's putting me in places where people need the gospel and I'm living by the spirit. And it's a completely uncertain. It doesn't come with comfort. It doesn't come with ease. It doesn't come with a lack of trouble. It doesn't come with a lack of suffering. It doesn't come with a lack or an immunity to trials and tribulations. 
And so often in our culture, we start to say, okay, if uh, uh, somebody passed away in my life, God doesn't love me. I don't have a job. God's not hearing me, right? Oh, I'm having struggles in my relationship. Well, God's turned his back on me, right? We're, we're so quick to say that God doesn't care when we have troubles and issues. But here we see a man on fire for God who wrote the majority of the New Testament who is not even having a place to live. So, so please, we have to stop equating our circumstances, our comfort, and our level of success in life to God's favor, God's love, or God's passion for us. Because the truth is that God loves you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God hears your prayers. God is with you. We have been promised a savior. We have been promised an individual. We've been promised somebody who will comfort us and will give us peace and joy and passion. But we mistake that peace with the lack of, of, of issue and obstacle. But that couldn't be further from the truth. In the difficulty, in the storm, he is with us. That's where our peace comes from. The peace comes from understanding that if I take my last breath here on this earth, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My joy, my peace, my comfort doesn't come in a lack of, of issues. It comes with a knowing of who he is. That's where my peace comes. That's where my prosperity comes from. I prosper in understanding, knowing that, that the, the greatest gift that I'll ever receive is the free gift of salvation and a knowing of who Jesus is. That in and of itself is enough to be called, to call myself blessed. That is enough to call myself happy. That is enough to call myself at peace because I have the peace of knowing that if I stepped outside of here and an earthquake happened and this entire building crumbled on top of me and I took my last breath, the peace of knowing that I will be with the Lord is enough to bring me peace, joy, and comfort every single day of my life regardless of my money, regardless of my relationship, regardless of the people in my life who are healthy, regardless of my job, regardless of my shelter, regardless of my transportation. And this is knowledge. This is wisdom. This is teaching. And, and for some of us, we're at this spiritual level where it's not, you're not able to grasp that because you allow your situation to determine who God is when the word of God should be the only thing that determines who he is because he is who he says he is and he is good and faithful and righteous and always with you and loving and merciful and empathetic. Oh, thank you, Jesus. First Corinthians chapter four, it's good stuff. It really is. I, uh, my, my prayer is that as the church, because it doesn't take much, right? If I post a video about Jesus' peace, immediately people run to the comments. If Jesus is peace, then why did my mom die? If Jesus is peace, then why did I get cheated on? If Jesus is peace, then why was I allowed to be touched as a kid? If Jesus is peace, then why do kids get cancer? Right? This is the comment section. I, I, I read, I don't engage, but I, I see where the heart of people are. And what that tells me is there's a, a lack of spiritual maturity. Again, they're equating the bad in this world to who God is, right? We live in a fallen world that is filled with evil, darkness, wickedness, and sin. Because we live in this fallen world, that doesn't change who he is. And, and getting to the spiritual, uh, the, the level of understanding to know that we must separate what happens to us with who God is. It's not the same thing. 
He says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God is good, why would he let these bad things happen? Like that is a part of life. We've never been promised ease. And if we want to talk about suffering, right? Life was never fair. Jesus suffered the most. Jesus suffered the most. Do you guys understand that? Jesus suffered the most. If we understand that, hey, we've sinned. Can we all just get on the same level? You're born into sin. You're, you're, you're born a sinner. You've sinned. You've lied. You've probably cussed. You've probably told, uh, you know, some, some falsities. You've probably dishonored your mother and father. You've probably been super angry and thought about killing somebody. You've probably committed adultery by lust in your mind or having premarital sex. You're a sinner, right? That doesn't mean that you deserve suffering, but we sin it separates us from god imagine jesus being pure blameless and sinless he didn't he didn't make any mistakes he didn't lust he didn't dishonor his mother and father he wasn't rude he didn't lie he was sinless he was pure he was blameless and despite that fact he was falsely accused he was falsely imprisoned he was beaten right and not just like hey i'm gonna like like a small like he was beaten within an inch of his life then he was forced to carry his own cross then he was crucified like a criminal in between two criminals his suffering surpasses anything that you can think of yes even that his suffering surpasses any suffering that any of us can possibly think of his trauma his physical the physical trauma that he went through surpasses anything that we can go through he experienced betrayal right he experienced death he experienced grief right his best friend lazarus died Right? So, so he's experienced everything that you can possibly think of. Every temptation. It says the devil tempted him after being fasted. Every temptation that you can think of. Every temptation that you fall into. Everything that, that, that gets your flesh tingly and leads you down a road and, and you drop right into sin. He experienced that yet overcame it. Right? Everything. Every emotion. Every feeling. Uh, everything. God came in the flesh and he experienced life. Everything that you've experienced and gone through yet remained blameless. And then he was beaten. Then he experienced suffering from a place of perfection. If I can, if I can encourage you guys one thing, if you can understand that his suffering was greater than yours and, and, and his victory on the cross, his resurrection power, that the power that brought him up from the grave, the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. If we can take our mind off of our story and place it on his story, if we can take our mind off of our suffering and place it on his suffering, and if we can realize and understand that he takes all of that pain, all of the things that happened to you, all of the things that you didn't choose, all of the hard things, and he can give you peace, and that peace comes from a knowing, not a feeling, Life starts to hit different, right? Life starts to hit different, and it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It really is. And I would encourage you to sit in his presence, to sit in his word, to seek him every single day. And you start to have a deeper, more intimate understanding. Did I share the pregnancy thing with you guys yesterday? It was... Um, it's a great analogy, and I'm going to use it again. So I probably shared it yesterday, but I was watching Dan Mullen. If you guys were just like, oh my God, pregnancy. No, we're not pregnant, chill. Um, that's not what I'm saying. But I was listening to a sermon by Dan Moeller, and he says, um, if a man, if a husband and a wife spend a lot of intimate time together, somebody's getting pregnant, right? Somebody's getting pregnant. If a, a husband and a wife 
are spending intimate time together, somebody's getting pregnant. And it's the same thing with Jesus. If you're spending intimate time with Jesus, you're going to get pregnant. Not in the sense of what you're thinking. You're going to get pregnant and filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what you give birth to is going to look like the baby daddy. And the baby daddy's Jesus. So you spend intimate time with Jesus. You become filled with Jesus. And what comes out of you reflects the image of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're spending intimate time with the world, okay, what happens? You're spending intimate time with the world. You're going to be filled with what the world has and what comes out of you. You're going to give birth to sin. And so if you want the things to come out of you that are spiritual, that bring glory to God, that look like Jesus, you must spend intimate time with Jesus, right? I hope that that's not too much of a concept. That concept doesn't go over your head. If you want to, if you want what comes out of you to look like Jesus, you have to spend intimate time with Jesus. Because if you step back and you go, man, the, the things that are coming out of me, they look more like this world than they look like Jesus. What does that tell you? That tells you that you're spending more time with the world than you are in the word. And so something has to change. Something has to shift. If you want what comes out of you to look like Jesus, you have to spend more time with him. Amen. So that's, that's challenging. That's challenging because many times we'll say, oh, well, I'm just weak. Oh, well, it's my flesh. No, we choose. We choose how we spend our time. Do we spend our time in the presence of God? Do we spend our time in the word? Do, what are we consuming? Are we spending more time consuming things that bring glory and honor to him? Or are we spending more time consuming things that are from this world? And, and it says, you'll know them by your fruit. And this is what I'm talking about. If I spend intimate time with Jesus and I'm filled with Jesus and what comes out of me looks like Jesus, the fruit that I bear is going to be Christian fruit. It's going to be fruit that comes from the Spirit. Okay. Now, if I spend intimate time with the world and I'm filled with the world and what comes out of me looks like this world, the fruit of my time and how I'm spending my energy and effort is going to be sin. Does that make sense? So if I want to change the things that are coming out of me, the way that I talk, the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I treat people, I need to spend less time, intimate time with the world and more intimate time with the Word. Does that make you feel me? Amen. Amen. Jesus. Jesus is the king. It's his death. It's his burial. It's his resurrection. You guys, glory to God. Glory to God. That's not an analogy that I, uh, I came up with. That was uh, Dan Moeller, um, a man who's filled with the spirit, loves Jesus. And um, it's, it's a, it's, it was a beautiful analogy. It was a beautiful sermon that I listened to. But in Psalm 125, we're going to switch gears because we're, we're pushing up to the, the end of that. No, man, glory to God. There we go. Boom. Thank you, May. Sister May, glory to God. The, the thing, there was verse 1 is what I want to share. You guys are reading this. You guys are spending time um, in the Word. Um, I'm encouraging you guys to know your Word. Uh, and I want you guys to have a deeper understanding of who He is and who He says He is. But verse 1 says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. Right? Those who trust in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord are like a mountain. They can't be moved. You guys... You, they can't be moved. You can't be moved when you put your trust in the Lord. When you start to live for Him, everything that you do, when you start to die to yourself, 
to your dreams, your visions, your goals, when you start to die to, to all of the things that this world promises you, and you start to trust in God, you trust in the Son, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you trust that His sin, uh, that, or that your sin is, is a debt that you no longer owe, when you understand that the spirit that lives in you is greater than the power in this world, right? The power in you is greater than the power in this world. When you start to understand and you trust in Jesus, you cannot be moved, right? You cannot be moved. If you're moved, it's because you allow it. If you move, it's because you choose to be moved. You don't have to be moved. You don't have to be moved by sin. You don't understand, and this is an identity issue that we've been talking about. I'm going to be brief on this. Jesus now lives in you. God sees you as the righteousness of Christ. God sees you as the perfection of Christ. The authority that you have is greater than the authority in this world. You're no longer a slave to sin. So when temptation comes up, I can't stop preaching about this because so many people are given to sin. They're given over to their fleshly desires and they think that they're a slave to their sin. When you start to understand who he is, what he did, and who you are in his sight, when you start to see yourself not as a, a, a oh man, your flesh, oh Holy Spirit, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. This is what I'm going to say. Many of us see ourselves... Um, the way that the world sees us. We see ourselves beat up, lowly, struggling through life, you know, and we can barely stand. We can barely walk. That's what the world wants you to think. In the spiritual realm, you now have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. It says that you're a new creation. You are no longer this, this lowly individual, man. The way that God sees you he says, you have been chosen and set aside. You are more than a conqueror. You are a victor. You, you are a warrior. As a, a Christian, you, are, you died to your old self and you have been raised new. You have boldness and power and authority. God sees you as a mighty warrior. And this picture that I'm getting of us in the spiritual realm and the way that God sees us is we have these mighty breastplates of righteousness and we're clothed in armor. And we have these helmets that are mighty. And we carry around these big shields. And we have boots on and we have utility belts. And we're warriors. We are spiritual warriors. I'm getting this picture of just like, uh, uh, I don't know, like Final Fantasy video game and these, these warriors that are decked out with so much power. But many of us don't recognize that in the spirit. We don't realize that, hey, I'm a new creation. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not who I used to be. I don't have to give in to every temptation. It says the enemy, if you resist him, he will flee from you. So when sinful desires and thoughts rise up, you have to see yourself as I am a child of the King. I am a child of God most high. I am a warrior in the spiritual realm. And as I recognize that, the enemy doesn't want you to know that power. As I recognize who I am, when he says, hey, you want to look at porn? You go, no, why would I look at porn? I'm a spiritual warrior. Flee from me. And he's got to go. He's got to leave. We have authority and this boldness over sin and fleshly desires. Hey, you should look at this picture. You should look at this page. You should call this. You should, these little ideas and these thoughts, these temptations, these flaming arrows. We understand that we have a shield that, that, that guards those. When they come at us, we go, no, that's sin. I'm not a slave to sin. I choose righteousness. As a matter of fact, I'm going to turn on worship music and I'm going to praise God. 
The enemy can't stay in your presence as you resist him and you praise God. You fall on your knees and you start to give him glory and praise. The enemy can't stand in that place. He can't be in that place. But so many of us are comfortable and the way that we see ourselves are our, our victims or we are our trauma or we're our suffering or we're what the world has told us. We've been rejected and hurt and, and people have betrayed us and that's where we get our worth from. Oh, well, they didn't love me. Well, who can love me? Oh, well, they said that I wasn't going to be anything. Well, I can never be anything. Oh, well, they took advantage of me, so I must be weak. I must be poor. I must be who the world keeps telling me I am. And so we walk around in these old defeated shells thinking that we are, uh, that we're something that we're not. But the truth of the matter is that we are warriors, right? We Everything that we have is from God. We're so powerful, we're greater than sin. We're greater than flesh. We're greater than desires. We're greater than the enemy, right? Stand on that. The power in you is greater than the power in this world. What's the power in the world? The devil. So many of us give him so much credit. Oh, the devil's getting at me today. Oh, the devil's having his way. Oh, the de no, he's not. He can't, right? Oh, know who you are. When you start to see yourself as who you are in the eyes of God, Man, you start to say, uh-uh, the devil don't have dominion here. He doesn't have dominion in this place, right? The power in me is greater than the power in this world. I, I carry a power and an authority and a boldness that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave. Nothing's greater than that power. Nothing's greater than that authority. It's the authority that we have from God. Come on, somebody. That's what I want you guys to see. That's how I want you guys to start walking and acting no more do I, I i don't want to oh you know the devil's got me and oh you know i just i need prayer i need prayer right we've become so addicted to prayer and that's not a knock i'll pray for you i love to pray for you but you don't need prayer you need uh, uh you need to flip your mindset and understand who you are we need a we need to wake up to our identity as children of god He's not like you're a child of God and you just kind of limp in and you're, oh, and you're just like, oh, I'm just here. Thank you. No. Remember the prodigal son who came home from living a, a life of debauchery and sin? He came home and he was just like, he's, he's limping in like, oh, you know, I'm, I, I, I took my inheritance and I, I ran away. And he goes, no, I'm running to you. I'm going to put a ring on your finger. I'm going to put sandals on your feet. I'm going to give you your, your, your dominion back. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party. My son's back and my son has authority. My son has boldness. My son has position. And, and so, yes, we might have sinned and fallen away from God. But when we come back, we don't have to come back and tend the sheep. He puts us back in a position of power and he puts us back with that authority and that boldness are we are the father's kids and there's no there's nothing that has more authority over us oh man, i can't even oh, i can't even wrap my head around it this morning man you shouldn't be moved put your trust in him right mm. come on oh let's get up out of here God is so good. God is good. I don't even know what to say. I'm done. I'm done. Um, let's pray. Call it a day. I love you guys and I honor you. I love you and I honor you. Hmm. Be fired up this weekend.
This is funny because me and Kyra were talking about this. She was like, when I talk, I, I don't like when there's no words. <laughs> I was like, when that happens, you're just sitting in the presence of God. Sometimes you need an emotional pause or you need a, I don't even call it emotional. You need a, a, a pause to just a holy pause, man, just to receive. A lot's been poured out this morning and um, I just pray that you receive it. Pray that you receive it. He's good. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, right here in this place, collectively, there's 400 some odd people here. God, we praise you. Lord, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor. If that's the only thing that we do today is praise you and uh, give you the glory, then we've done, um, we've done what we were created for. Our lives that you've given us, the breath that we breathe, uh, the, the, the pulse that beats inside of us, it, it should beat for you. Every breath that we breathe should be to bring glory and honor to your name. And we are so thankful that you would save us, that you wouldn't write us off, that you wouldn't turn your back on us, that you would continue to love us and care about us, that you would pursue us, that, that the blood of your son would change and transform us. God, I'm so grateful and thankful that you would meet us in this place on a Saturday morning or wherever, what time it is, with my brothers and sisters around the world, that as we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. God, I pray for spiritual maturity across the board, that you would teach us and lead us and guide us, that you would take the blinders from our eyes, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our ears and help us to receive your truth. We know that your truth changes us and that it transforms us. And God, that's what we're here for. We don't want to leave this place the same. We don't want to leave this place in, with the same mindset or the same identity issues that we were struggling with that we came in here with. Help us to walk away from this place knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that we are a vessel for it, that we are no longer slaves to sin, that the power in us is greater than the power in this world. God, that if we resist the enemy, he must flee from us. Help us to stand on your spiritual truths. Help us to write your word on the tablet of our heart. Help it to come to our memory and to the forefront of our mind and our heart when we're faced with the challenging things that look to discourage us or look to take our identity away from us. Help us to remind ourselves. Help us to remember that we are children of God Most High. Mm. But God, with that, help us to remain humble. To, to, to continue to have a position of praise, to continue to have a heart posture of serving, to have a heart posture of humility, not to allow that to get to our heads or to make us feel like we are better than other people or that we uh, have the, the ability to judge unrighteously outside of the church. Help us to judge righteously inside of the church, but to do so with love and truth and, and in a manner that draws people in to your presence, because in your presence is where the changing and the transformation happens. So as we leave this place, we lift up our prayer requests. And the only thing that we say about the things that we lift up is that your will would be done. God, that's what we want. We want your will. If it's not your will, we don't want it. If it doesn't line up with your plan and purpose, we don't want it. And God, give us the discernment to understand and to know the difference, to understand and know that uh, if, 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 it's, if it's not from you, if it's not a door that's open from you, then we pray that you close it. We want what you want for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Um, man, God is good. 
I'm so thankful for, for each and every one of you guys here. Um, I love you. I honor you. And uh, I pray that you guys have an amazing rest of your day. We'll be back here tomorrow where we're going to hit up 1 Corinthians 5, where he keeps the fire and flame alive. And uh, yeah, we'll get into Psalm chapter 126 tomorrow as well. But anyway, hope you guys have an amazing day. I love you. And um, we'll see you tomorrow.